Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Welcome back to the Paddle and Fin Podcast Network. We're brought to you by Pelican Built Tough. For all situations, go to pelican.com. Yak Gadget. For all your fine kayak fishing accessory needs, go to yakgadget.com. Eastport Marina on the beautiful shores of Dale Hollow Lake. For all your lodging, kayaking, and fishing needs, go to eastport.info. Now let's get this show started. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Fishing for Noobs here on the Paddle and Fin Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Lavery. I want to thank you all for joining me again this evening. I'm super excited about the guests we have tonight. I've heard him on quite a, do, a few other shows, and uh, I'm, I'm super pumped about the knowledge that he brings. Uh, definitely uh, appeals to my inner geek, and uh, I can't wait for you guys to meet him. Uh, but first, real quick, before we jump into that, I just wanted to hi- highlight the uh, Bass Fishing for Noobs uh, tournament that's going for June. Um, um, I've, there's been a ton of good fish caught. Um, we definitely got a lot of anglers. We have 23 anglers for this month, so uh, we almost doubled our uh, anglers from last month. And currently, I am sitting in the lead, but uh, don't worry about that. If I happen to win, um, I'm definitely going to you know, pass uh, my position on to whoever is in second. They will win first place and on down the line. So uh, don't worry about trying to beat me. I just happen to be having a really, really good month this month. I had a great uh, tournament on Sunday. Uh, one of my local tournaments, and uh, so I was able to use some of those fish uh, in the Noobs tournament as well. So um, for anybody that's out there still trying to catch me, uh, keep out it, keep at it. We still got half the month left. Um, get out there and uh, put some fish on the board. I can't wait to see what else you guys come up with. Uh, I know John Fell is doing really good in second. He's got a bunch of 18s. Um, I saw Cheryl Bentley has a huge beast of a almost a 22-inch bass, so uh, definitely some nice fish on the board already. So uh, if you haven't got a fish on the board, that's fine. We still have plenty of time left. Get out there on the water. Um, there's plenty of fish to be had. They're going to be, uh, you know, really starting to get, uh, you know, should be getting easier and easier to find them and catch them. Uh, so just keep at it and, um, you know, keep trying, guys. So um, that's it for that highlight. So uh, without further ado, I want to introduce tonight's guest, Mr. Shannon Gorman. Welcome to the Best Fishing for Noob show, sir. Thanks for having me on. No problem. I appreciate you uh, uh, accepting my invitation and coming on. And um, for uh, those folks who don't know who you are, can you give them a little idea who you are, where you're from, and um, a little bit about your background, how you uh, got into fishing? And then also, you also have quite a bit of other uh, uh, experience as well regarding fish, but in a different way. Yeah, I do, actually. Um, 
I'm a professional fisherman, just in a different way. <laughs> um, it's good to get paid I, for that, right? No, I, I mean, yeah, it sure. is. It's great, man. It's although it is um, the type of fishing that I've that I've had to endure sometimes isn't as fun as just is sport fishing. But um, I, I can't remember a time in my life when I didn't fish. My dad took me so when I was so very young that it just always seemed like something I had done, you know. And I was fortunate here in Georgia. That's where I'm from, in Georgia. And here in Georgia, we have a lot of um, man-made ponds, a million to be exact. And they were built uh, way back in like the 40s and 50s. The state of Georgia built them um, for pond owners or for landowners to help with erosion control. And they constructed them for free. Wow. So... You know, if you had land back then, you could just put in a permit and the, and the county would come and, and build you a, a pond and with an engineer. I mean, it was all really, really done very well, you know. So the pond fishing opportunities because of that program, because of that government program from so long ago, um, are, are good here in Georgia. We have a lot of private ponds. Um, so I was fortunate enough as a, as, a, as a young man, as a boy, you know, growing up to have a few of those ponds around my house. And I got to fish them every day, you know. Okay. And I just, I was a real avid fisherman. And, you know, you go to school and you go to college and they make you major in something eventually, you know. <laughs> and I was, I was kind of, I was actually dating a girl and she in a, in a passing comment she made um she said her dad was coming to do a speech at our college and the college i was going to then was it's called valdosta state university down in south georgia and uh i was like well that's interesting what is he doing a speech on and she said well he's a fisheries biologist over on the coast and he's coming over to talk about management of coastal fisheries and i was like i had never even heard of that you know Right. And I said, you can, you can, you can major in fish in college. And she's <laughs> like, yeah. And I'm like, so I went and listened to his speech. And after it was over with, I uh, probably talked to him longer than he cared to talk to me. Uh, <laughs> but I found out, you know, if you wanted to major in fisheries in Georgia, you had to go to the university of Georgia. Um, that was the only fisheries program that we have here in the state. And, um, my dad was a truck driver, so there wasn't the option to go out of state. So off to Georgia for me, you know, um, right. and I barely, I barely got in. It was such a hard school to go to, man. The forestry school is such a serious academic thing over there. And I really struggled. I wasn't probably wasn't the best student in the world coming through there. But <clears throat> what I did when I got there is I noticed that there was a need for guys, just field guys, just guys to drive trucks and haul gear and you know work they couldn't get anybody to they could get some people to volunteer for their projects but they couldn't get consistent help with their research projects you know so okay. i just made myself indispensable in that way if anybody needed uh help with any kind of a project a stream sample a pond sample sampling a river or even the ocean i was there you know if i could get there i, I made myself available for that and I don't regret doing that because I, I gained so much valuable field experience from that, you know? Right. Um, and then one of my jobs in the summertime was a lifeguard. And it was for the homeowners associations around Atlanta. And as it turned out, most of those HOAs 
had ponds in them. And the guy that I worked for had HOAs all over the city that he managed. It was an entire, you know, like a, a, a pond company, or I'm sorry, a pool company, you know. And, yeah. And I saw very quickly when I was there, I was about 19 or 20, you know, and I was like, you know, I could do the exact same thing with the exact same people, except just manage their ponds instead of their pools. And the ponds were just right there, you know, behind the pools. So right. I started making money managing those ponds before I ever left Georgia. And when I got out of school, I just kept my pond management thing going and soon it became full time. And I did it for a long time and I sold the company. Wow. And that brings us here. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, and having that, uh, background in, in, in fishing science, um, do you feel like that, uh, helps make you a better angler or, or, uh, just gives you a better place to start or how do you feel that affects your fishing? That's a good question, man. <laughs> um, well, I don't know how to answer that really because, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I've, I've seen some great fishermen that have never stepped foot, you know, in a science class. Right. And I've also seen some terrible fishermen who are brilliant scientists. And I'm poking fun at a few friends right now. It was really, <laughs> I'm not going to name what I name. <laughs> but they know they know i'm yeah, sure yeah, they, they know, know, they know. <laughs> um, but you know on the on okay so there's that you know but at the, at the same time when i started doing this a couple years ago you know when covid got bad i just started throwing this online you know and it got it just got popular and it was popular with fishermen you know because i'm giving them biological information that they just they weren't aware of you know that that's not really readily available anywhere really um and i gotta go with what other people say i mean every single time i do one of these and it'll be interesting let's see what happens every single time i do one of these somebody listens picks something up from it and goes catch a pb real quick after the podcast Awesome. So guys, you heard that right here. So if you happen to uh, pick up something that really helps you, drop it in the show notes and there in the comments on the show or uh, put it on the Facebook group and just let us know because uh, we want to know, you know, you know, what tips help and, you know, because we can definitely uh, get more of those tips if it works like that. So it's cool, man, because I've had so many, it's happened so many times now, you know, over the past couple of years. And, you know, that's really the reward, you know, when you can help, like I, 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 you know, and again, my perspective is you have to understand if you hire me to take care of your pond, it doesn't matter if I can catch the fish. You need to be able to catch the fish. So my perspective on this is completely different. I'm not like a tournament bass fisherman or something. I need my clients to catch. I need my clients to understand biology. I need my, my clients to to be better, you know, and I've spent right. 30 years talking to people just basically kind of condensing these conversations down to where they're almost like sentences. Um, I was just going to ask, so what are, what are some of the, the main things that you see that, you know, you're constantly telling people, you know, do this, or this is something you should look for, or, or you're making this mistake. What, what are some common things that you see that you're correcting? Well, I guess just general fish health. Okay. And if, if I could, if I could t touch on, I wouldn't say that's the most, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm answering a question that I wish you asked me, not a question that you asked me. That's, that's fine. No, I, that's but, fine. Um, 
general fish health. Okay. And let me just, and I'm, I got a little scale coming. I'm going to be selling pretty soon here. I got a printer finally I, I'm doing good business with here and looks like we're on the same page. Um, I've, I've had this product kind of in design in development for a few years now, and it's okay. always fallen through one way or another, but okay. How it works is just a regular fish mat. You would lay a fish on to measure it when you caught it. Right. Right. Except, Across the top, you'd have the length and inches. Across the bottom, you have the standard weight of bass. Okay? So when I put the fish down, say it's a 24-inch bass, the standard weight for a 24-inch bass is 8.1 pounds. Okay. So what does that mean to me as a scientist? Well, as a scientist, if I'm managing your pond and I catch a 24-inch bass and it's under 8.1 pounds, I'm doing a bad job managing your pond. Okay? I need to find out why that fish is underfed what's you know what's impacting that that fish are there other fish that size that are under that weight or is it an anomaly or are the other fish that size at or over that weight um that's how i guide that that's 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 my guide so a lot of times what you'll see in an example would be the 12 to 14 inch fish are under that weight but like say the 16 inch fish are over that weight so that would lead me to believe that in a simple system that's, that's stocked properly um there's too many bass in the 12 to 14s. We need to put a slot limit on them and harvest and, and get their weights back up. They're skinny because there's too many. And the fish that are over 16 are looking good. You see what I'm saying? Right. No, um, that makes sense. You can see the slot. You can see the slot limits. You can see the, the you can see the uh, relative health of the fish in each size class. Okay. Did that make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. So when people start holding up 24 inch bass that are five and a half pounds and saying they're spawned out. Okay. That's not a condition of the spawn. If you hold up a 24 inch bass and it's like seven pounds, seven ounces or something. Okay. That might be a condition of, of the spawning season, but a pound and a half under that is, is a fish in a starved condition is not eating properly. So that is my number one goal. That is why I started doing this. That is what drives me to keep doing this. And when people can fully understand what I just explained back to me, I'll stop doing this. But <laughs> they can't. They don't understand. It. And, and really, all it is, it's like a BMI chart. They can't go to the doctor and you have that bass body, body mass index thing at the, at the doctor. That's, that's all it is. It's just for, for bass. Um, the scale that I'm coming out with will also have the front end of the scale will also have bluegill on there as well because awesome. yeah, bluegill are, are the opposite. Like you'll see um, what happens to bass. The opposite happens to bluegill there. The bass impact the bluegill population it, or, or the bluegill shad population, you know, if you want to go there um, or the forage population. But example, if the, there's too many bass, they'll all be the same size. And you'll see really small forage and or really big forage in the same pond. You'll either have like 10-inch bluegill and 2-inch bluegill with nothing in between because the bass are eating everything in between. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And all one-pound bass, that's a real common That's a real common problem most people have. Most people's light are, is going to go right on. And how you fix that, you harvest bass. You do not go get a stocking truck and put forage in there. You, Bill Gates doesn't have enough money to make that work. <laughs> <laughs> you have to harvest the bass. That's the only way around it. 
No, that makes sense. That makes sense. And um, so we as anglers, what part do we play? Like, so that's more, uh, those kind of decisions are on the pond owner or whoever's kind of, you know, you know, hiring you to take that out. But so uh, we as anglers, like we obviously listen to what, uh, if, if you go back to the pond owner and say, hey, you know, you need to harvest this particular slot limit, you know, and kind of, you know, thin the herd a little bit. Um, we can obviously listen to what they say, but uh, is there anything um, that we can do as anglers that really helps that other than just following what they say? Or, um, sure. it, yeah, I think, okay, so let's, that's the second part of my chart is this part. Okay. As, as anglers, all right, as an angler, okay, how does this help me? I, say I'm not a pond manager at all, but I, I need to know this information because it's very important information. Okay. Um, or you need to know. I already know. You need to know this information. <laughs> All right. So I know if I take like a, a two and a half acre pond, I've got one right now. We're tracking it real time. It's a year old and the fish are growing and I'm going to show people all this stuff. But I know how fast they can grow, right? Mm -hmm. I've seen them grow at these rates. So when I just made a post on my page about it and it, it explains it pretty well. I caught a... I caught a 20 and a half inch bass the other day. It weighed 5.25 pounds. Okay. Now mm -hmm. that doesn't mean anything to most people. Most people will just hold it up and say it's healthy. Okay. But why is it healthy? How do you know it's healthy? Explain that. When you get to that point in the thing, people are like, okay, the fish is either alive or dead. If it's dead, <laughs> it's not healthy. If it's alive, it's healthy. Okay. That they can't explain that. All right. So let's, let's break that down. If we look at our chart, a 20 and a half inch bass, the standard weight is 4.96. This bass weighed 5.25. Okay, it's over standard weight. Okay, that is a very unique situation. That is a very hard situation to achieve in a perfectly managed pond. Okay. I found it in a 250 acre public lake. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if I know that fact and I'm a big bass fisherman, right? Like I heard you talking about your tournament, you need 22, 23 inch fish. Okay. If I go to a lake and I start catching 12 and 14 inch bass that are under standard weight, I need to leave. That lake can't produce a 24 inch bass. All those bass are going to be stuck around 12 to 14 inches, 99% of them anyway. Those numbers told me that. Now, right. if I go to the next lake and I catch a 12-inch bass, or let's say it's a 12-and-a-half-inch bass, and the standard weight says it should be one pound, but it weighs 1.25 pounds. 
All right, that just gave me a clue that I'm in the right place. If I catch a five pounder next, okay, and it's overweight again, now I've got two data points giving me confirmation and I've got various sizes of fish. I've got a one pound fish and a five pound fish. And that is very, very important. When fisheries are balanced, they produce various sizes of fish. And when they're stunted, the fish are all the same size. It doesn't even have the species. Crappy will do it. Boogie will do it. Bass will do it. When their numbers are crowded, they're all the same size. Interesting. That's really, I, you know, I, I've, I've, I've noted that when I fished at different places before, Oh, you know, I seemed to catch a ton of 12 to 14 inch fish, but didn't really catch many over that. And I uh, never put two and two together that, you know, right. they're they're, stuck there. right. They can't climb up. Yeah. And what it is, is it's the part of the fish growth that people don't understand is when you get too much of a spawn and, and, and you got a couple of years where you've got too many bass in there, there, there's so many that there's, there's enough forage to keep those 12 inch bass alive. There's not enough forage to get those bass over to hunt to get them to grow. So how you get them through that is limit their numbers down. Then the lake is producing forage to fewer bass, and then you get it going again. Um, that's where most lakes, that's where the problem lies with most lakes. So you ask, what can average fishermen do? If you can learn relative weight and learn to recognize when the bass are under, when you need to harvest them, you know, even if it's a public lake, if you if you're allowed to harvest 10 or 15 fish every time you go, you should in certain lakes. And that would be that would be benefiting that lake. Now you might want to go over if you go to the lake and like that I just described and and saw a bass like I caught that's that's heavy for its size. Okay, that's a fish you want to release. Right. But a skinny, a skinny stunted fish, the thing that people don't realize is that 12 inch fish can be 12 years old. It's stuck. It's not right. growing. It's living its whole life that size. That's it's crazy. not getting bigger. Yeah. Do you think um, that's a hard concept for people to, like, how much pushback do you get when you say you guys need to harvest bass? Because I know, like, that almost is a bad connotation in a lot of the places that I'm around. They're like, if you hear somebody say, oh, I kept the bass, they're like, oh, what are you doing? You know, you can't yeah. keep the bass. But yeah. do you find that's a, a hard sell for you to, to, to get that point across? Incredibly. It's impossible. I'm failing terribly. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. That's, I figured that was probably the case, but uh, I wasn't sure how you even approach that then. Um, I, a lot of people I, hate me. Um, and that's just part of the life that I lead, man. I try to give her some, here's the thing, man. Some people come in and they just firing at me, you know, and, and that's okay because I understand that they, they do in that because they love fish and they think they're doing the right thing. And I don't get mad at anyone like that. I explain my points. I explain my education and my experience for the last 30 years. And if they can't listen to that and can't hear me, then, you know, I got to block them and let them go. But sometimes, man, sometimes those guys will hear you and then they become your best followers. They become the guys who are advocating for you. You know, I was just going to say the best advocates for sure. Yeah, sure, man. So. You know, ultimately, I did all this, man. I'm not here to be some fancy influencer or whatever. I did all this because I care about bass fishing, and I see a problem with people's perception on what a healthy bass population looks like, and I'd just really like to fix that. Well, I think, uh, you know, just, just having these conversations and getting that word out there and getting that knowledge out there of what makes a bass healthy, you know, because I, I, I fully see that. Like, every time I see a skinny bass prior to this, I was like, oh, you know, it's 
it just went through the spawn. It's, it's, you know, just all, uh, you know, drawn out from the spawn. And that, you know, like you said, that, that makes, you know, that can be the case at some point, but not to the extent that a lot of times you're seeing it. And right. what, so what you're really not, you're, you're not just seeing, you know, just, you know, tired out bass, you're seeing unhealthy, you know, really, really malnourished bass, you know, Right. And what people don't understand is and usually it's like, oh, you're telling me there's too many bass in the pond. I'm like, correct. Well, then why don't I ever catch any? Because I barely ever catch any fish. Okay. Listen to what you're asking me because you, you, you think you're asking me a hard question, but you're not. <laughs> they are starving. They have no energy. Okay. If, you're ha- you're, if your catch rates have gotten to that, you know, you've gotten to the point where you just need to drain the lake and start it all over again. And, and that is the easiest, least expensive, best way to correct a pond anywhere in North America. Just flush it like a toilet and start it all over. Um, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm doing this in real time because I don't, I've, I've done this stuff on the Internet a long time. And I back everything up with real time uh, experience, you know, and real time yeah. lake work. Um, well, I know I'm, you, I'm sure you've I'm seen successes and right. Theory. Right. Okay. Yeah, not at all. Um, I don't have a fancy upper degree. I manage ponds for a living. I'm just a fish farmer. When you want me to grow you a fish, I'll grow you a fish. Interesting. You know, and, and it's weird that you say that because um, I had a local lake by me uh, that they had to drain because uh, they were repairing the dam. And uh, they they pretty much emptied it. And Good. it was a sh- – and it – it came back way quicker than anybody. Like it was, I, the first like two or three, two years, maybe it was a little, you know, slow. There wasn't a ton of, you know, huge fish, obviously they did stock it with some and, and, but I went back on in the third year and it was almost like a secret that I didn't want to tell anybody because nobody yeah. was there because everybody yeah. just assumed that it was crap. Yeah. No. Um, but it no, no. rebounded no, no. so quickly. You want to go dude. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I was trying, uh, like, I was telling my friends and stuff, but I definitely wasn't broadcasting it that it was because uh, I really liked having it kind of to myself sure. uh, to some extent. Now, sadly, they, whatever they did to the dam didn't, they had to uh, just drain it all over again. So it is yeah. now empty again for the second wow. time. Um, and um, it's, which is kind of a good thing because the other lake that I fished that's attached to it, they had to lower it so that that, that, that lake wouldn't overflow into the other one and now only kayak can get into the other lake so at least uh you know the big boats aren't out there and i i don't have to fight big boats anymore to get on the lake but uh so it kind of is a blessing but uh, or uh, in disguise but uh, i do i'm looking forward to when they fix that dam but they said it's going to be at least a year yet before they even start filling it back up so probably looking another four years before it's even going to be you know productive again so yeah it will be man like that's uh, where where is that at? What state are you in? Pennsylvania. You're in Pennsylvania. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, that's a little further north than anything I've ever worked on much. Um, I've been around uh, Chicago some, but um, far north from here for, to Virginia. But okay. um, yeah, the new lakes, man, or new ponds. You know, because you're what you it's a it's kind of an interesting thing. You're setting it up properly if you set it up properly. You're stocking that that 
perfect balance. And, and what all balance means is the numbers of bass in the pond versus numbers of forage in the pond. Okay. okay. It's, it's good, you know. And where people get confused is like you don't want that number to be even. If it's 50% bass and 50% forage, you're dealing with a, a severely stunted bass population. Okay. They won't, they won't grow in that. It takes Interesting. 10 yeah, it takes 10 pounds of forage for a bass to grow one pound. Wow. So you need it grossly overstocked in forage to get that kind of growth that we're wanting to see, you know, that's cap that they're capable of. But right. I mean, here in Georgia, um, bass go to have, I mean, it's been documented by the state uh, electrofishing, by, you know, the biologists here, a couple of the trophy managed lakes, um, they've had bass go to 13 pounds in four years. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I see eight pounds in three years in my private ponds pretty consistently if you do it right. Okay, so, that's interesting. I like. I remember just reading something on smallmouth in the river. Uh, like I said, I I just called a, a twenty and three quarter, and they had like a chart all, that you know oh, about Lord, releasing those big fish. Probably eight or something. <laughs> yeah, and uh, they were talking about how old that fish was, and I was like, oh man, I hope. I, you know, I always try and handle those fish with as much care as I can and get them back in the water as quickly as I can, you know, yeah. uh, don't, cause, uh, I want those genes to keep surviving, man. And, you know, uh, but I'm always afraid of, you know, that, uh, you know, any little bit, I always try and wet my board. I try and, you know, do all the things that I've heard of that, that, you know, help if they can help in any little way to ensure that that fish survives. They'll, they'll be fine, man. Bass are tougher than nails, dude. <laughs> just, just be safe with them, you know, give them as much care as you can and uh, it'll be okay. You know, I, 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 I kind of like mess with people a little bit on the fish handling stuff, but it's because they don't listen to me. Um, it's, it's all right. If a fish dies here or there, you know, you haven't, there's, you know, you don't have to bury your head in shame if you foul hook one or whatever, that's part of the sport. And again, you know, if, if you're aware of your relative weights and you're a little bit aware of your leg management, um, you know, a lot of times those foul hook fish that are, that are, that get killed are it's actually beneficial for the lake. You know, you haven't done anything wrong. You're actually helping it, you know? Um, right. So, you know, harvest is necessary, just like a deer population. It's just, I was just going to say that, too. I remember in, in high school, I had a, a, a teacher who was also a big hunter, and he would go round and round with the kind of environmentalist students, if you will, about how deer hunting totally helps overpopulation and everything and had studies to back it up. But it was a, a fight that he, you know, almost a losing battle at times. And yeah, uh, I figured you're dealing with when you start dealing with people who are dealing with emotions that aren't, you know, they're not existing in reality, you know, and that's fine too. If you want to live out there, you can live out there. We live a free country. But again, I'm in a real world situation here. I've got the man pays me to grow bass in his pond and that's what I'm going to do. But we can also learn things from these simple little pond experiments um, from genetics. And we can also learn things about, like I said, about the chart, you know, because the chart, I'll show you, man, when, when we weigh these bass, they're going to be above relative weight. They're going to be, they're going to be growing and they're going to be expressing their genetic potential. They're going to be thick and heavy and aggressive and just awesome fish, you know? And when you go into a public lake that's in the sweet spot or is producing good fish at that, those, for those years, you know, those numbers are there too. Now that, that 
that public lake is a much more diverse thing. It's a much more complicated thing. There's hundreds of different species in there. You know, it's completely different. But that real that weight relative, that standard weight will be the same. And you can see it, you know. Right. Um, and that just comes from me getting on an electro fishing boat and going and going and going. And then it's like, you know, every time we see a 10-pound bass someplace, all the fish are thick. You know? So you make that correlation. Fair, not, I'm right. not out of a book, you know. I got on a shocking boat and I rode around for 20 years and I noticed it. No, that, that makes sense. It's, it's not, it's not theory. Like you said, it's, it's real world experience. And if you see it enough times, you start to figure out and make that correlation that, okay, you know, these bass, I, I think it's, it's a cool correlation, you know, that the, the, the relative weight to, to length uh, really makes a big deal. And it's a quick, easy way to, to get a quick snapshot of the health of a fishery. You can't, Whether it's a, you don't want to yeah. make that on, you don't want to make that assumption on like one fish, you know, if you right, catch one right. fish, okay. but 20 fish. Yeah. You're getting the data set now, you know, and you'll see a pattern in that data set too. You'll right. you, know, you understand what you're looking at. You'll totally see it. It's interesting. Cause I've seen uh, from that lake that I was talking about, the, the local lakes that I do that they post their, uh, their shock fishing reports usually. Awesome. And it's, it's interesting to see the the breakdowns of the sizes and things. Um, I'll have to take a look and see. You know, I don't think I think it does by length. I don't know that it shows weight because that would be interesting to see um, uh, how that correlates. But uh, cool, yeah. Though that's definitely uh, and guys who are listening, I hope you you guys can take that lesson home and you know really uh, you know learn to be an advocate for for that kind of information for the places you fish and. If you have anybody you can talk to about it, if you're if you have concerns, you know, reach out to the the owners of it and, and mention that and, and, you know, you know, introduce them to people like Shan here. And, and you know, maybe they can, you know, turn your fisher around if it's having problems or that kind of thing. I know um, I know Pennsylvania spends a lot of money um, trying to manage that kind of thing, whether they do it effectively or not. That I guess that's kind of up for debate. But um, I know you, you mostly work for private uh, companies or do you work for uh you know fish and boat commissions and state state agencies like that as well no i I didn't ever go towards the state biologists um part of it i've always worked in in private you know like i said for the homeowners associations where i got my start but apartment complexes and and private lake owners um just kind of always had enough to do right there no i was just gonna say if that keeps you busy and you know that's that's probably good enough but uh I, and i've heard about like that those places are awesome places to fish sometimes um, Some, sometimes not and that's the thing man like okay so let's let's break that down all right so one time i can remember i had 2200 acres of water under management around the southeast and i sat down one year after my electrofishing surveys now what you have to remember is is there's probably Oh, good Lord. Most of it, like any of the electrofishing service that I did for those, for those places. Um, here's the interesting part that the, everybody listening won't, won't understand. And it's, it's hard, it's hard to understand for fishermen, but a bulk of that water, like 80, over 80% of it wasn't even managed for fisheries. They line item that off. They don't care about it. They don't want to pay for it. They're not looking at it. As long as the fish aren't dead, they do not care. And you're not getting paid to do it. 
So if you want to manage those fisheries, go ahead, but you're not getting paid to do it. Now that leaves 20% of the other people, you know, right. Who, are, who, are, who will give you a few dollars to do a survey and write a report and maybe do a little of harvest or whatever you need to do to try to manage the fishery. So when you start getting off into like 60 acre lakes that are stunted out with crappy and bass, I mean, you're talking about thousands and thousands of crappy, tens of thousands, like more crappy than anybody could catch. And because I mean, there's only like 12 or 15 boats in the whole neighborhood. You know? <laughs> and even with an electro fishing boat, I couldn't go out on some of those bigger bodies of water and even make a dent in the numbers of fish that needed to be harvested in them. They're going to ride the way they ride because of the size that they are. Right. Now you bring them on down into like the 30 and 40 acre range, just got a little bit something more you can manage and you get them all down into like the 10 to 20 acre range. Now you got something that is easier to manage and affordable to manage. So a lot of your high rollers will be around 20 acres, 30 acres of water. Because it's a big enough lake to be a big lake, or I should say lake, it's a pond at that size. But it's a big enough pond to produce big fish, but it also is not producing lake management bills that look like something you need taxpayers' dollars to pay for. Because <laughs> when you get off into 100 acres of water, you're getting off into stacks, you know. And Interesting. most don't have that kind of money laying around to mess with them at that right. level, you know. Right, yep. So, so, I mean, that, I mean, I guess that would be a challenge for like, you know, state agencies because they are managing those bigger bodies of water at times. And they're managing bigger bodies of water on skeleton crews. So they can't do the harvest. They can't do it. They, they can go out there and give you a little report and tell you what you need to do. But like Lake Oconee down the street from my house is 10,000 acres and it's stunning with bass. That's 20 pounds of bass per acre for two years in 10,000 acres of water. Who's going to go keep that many fish over Right, there? right, That's exactly. How? And it doesn't matter what you stock, it's it's never going to get better, really. It's not a stocking problem. It's no. It's a harvest problem. It's the other side. It's the, you know, there's, it's like, I try to explain to people, like, balancing a fishery is like balancing on a wire, okay? You can go wrong in either direction quickly. You can harvest too many, and you can throw back too many. And I, I'm sure that balance often leans actually towards the throwing back too many because, you know, of the connotation of yeah. keeping fish. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Because, I mean, you wouldn't go back to the 70s, you know. You can go pull the electrofishing data from all the lakes and stuff around 50s, 60s, and 70s, you know. Dude, all the fish were tanks. Guys were catching multiple 10-pound fish per year. You know what I mean? Go back and look at the 60s and 70s and anywhere in the southeast, look at the stringers those guys were holding up. People were keeping every single bass they caught. Most of the bass, most of the ponds around here didn't have any bass in them. They're all stunned out with bluegill because all the bass have been caught out a long time ago. If there's one bass in there, it's just crushing the souls out of everything in there. And it looks <laughs> like, you know, stupid. Um, but fast forward to catch and release into the 80s until now, and it's the opposite. So explain to me how did that happen? Uh, <laughs> you went from keeping everything to throwing everything back. And guess what? Neither strategy is the right strategy. Right. There's a happy medium, as with most things, you know, and uh, I guess you got to kind of find that gray area. There's so much black and white out there. And um, 
so often the happy medium lives in that gray area with, and that goes for so many things. Um, but yeah, it makes sense that that, that would include best health as well, you know? Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, I, you know, again, I, thanks for bringing that up. Uh, I hadn't even thought about, I, I totally should have asked you before I got started what I, what you wanted to talk about, because that, <laughs> that was very interesting and definitely made for, uh, you know, some good information, I'm sure for the folks listening. Um, we just kind of, uh, and my mind just kind of went there, you know, but, and, and I never really kind of talked about it that way before either. So I'm glad we did talk about it because it, again, like I said, when you talk to people over and over again, you get like, you get better at it, you know, you get mm -hmm. more concise or I don't know if that's the right word, but you, you know, you sharpening sharp. No, no, that definitely makes sense. Well, you... 10 pounders. There's been a few times in my career that I've caught multiple 10 pound fish off the same structure. Don't you want to know what that looks like? Yeah. I was just going to ask. That was one of my questions when you're talking about pond management, how much of that goes into uh, like, you know, I, I see, you know, oh, we put so many of these, you know, uh, uh, structures in, bass cribs or whatever. Um, is that something you plan out or is that uh, more like oftentimes an afterthought? No, man. Like, let's see. Um, so when, when, if you hire me to, to do the pod, all right, we're going to do, we're going to accentuate nature. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. That's the way I like to describe that. All right, We're not going in there to spend a fortune in habitat and structure and all these things like that. Okay, um, I'm going to look at the bottom of the pond. I'm going to find the sandy areas. I'm going to add some pea gravel to the sandy areas because I know the bluegill are going to want to be in there. So I'm just, again, I'm going to accentuate that area. If I find some areas, clay areas, maybe looks like good crawfish habitat, rip wrap, some old stumps. Um, some, they're scrapers. See, they want to get and scrape stuff with surface area. So gravel's good for them too. They, they like to hide in the, in a bigger, bigger rock, like the, like the 57, you know, not, or the little bigger, but the number fours, not the 57. The number fours are a little bit bigger, you know, so the, the okay. crawfish. 
get down inside and have a place to hide in there, you know? Right. Um, I'm not bringing crawfish in from other places. I don't, I, I, I listened to a podcast that I was on recently and the guy came in after me and he was a crawfish expert. And the reason why I'm, I'm never going to do that again, I've never done it very much anyway, but I'm really never going to do it again because after listening to that guy, your native crawfish in your pond could be more productive than the crawfish that you're introducing from Louisiana or where you're buying them. Um, so I like the idea of kind of accentuating what you have and just kind of letting whatever native crawfish are there be there, you know? Right. Um, so when you first stock a pond, how you stock it is about a thousand bluegill per acre and the state of Georgia will tell you to stock 50 bass per. Now, when I got out of school and started stocking ponds on my own at 50 bass per acre, I noticed one, nobody was keeping any fish. And two, in about four years, those ponds were stunted with bass. And what I mean by stunted is the, the last couple, like the fourth year, third year and fourth year, all the fish were stacking up at 12 inches long. Nothing was getting any bigger. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were getting underweight. So it was already showing, you know, in four years, it was always four or five years, it was already showing signs of a stunted bass population. So I was like, okay, well, the next one of these I'm going to stock, I'm going to stock 40 bass breaker and see what happens. Because in my mind, what I'm thinking is when all these regulations were made, that they were made in a time that people kept everything they caught. And I'm thinking they might need to be adjusted because of the catch and release crate. You know, I don't right. think anybody, even at the time, I don't think anybody up until catch and release got ever thought people would ever throw fish back. <laughs> you know, that was like the stupid, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing? right. No, but, no, I, I still get that from some people when I, they are like, Oh, aren't, did you catch that? Or are you, what do you do with the fish you catch? And I'm like, I put them back for the most part, yeah. you know, and, they're like what you, you spend all that money and all that time and you throw them back i'm like yep so yeah so it's kind of the opposite now you know um well i got my i lost my train of thought what were we talking about uh we were talking about structure or fish habitat oh right so when we stocked the ba- when i stocked 40 bass per acre this is what i got i got bass out to about 15 and a half inches in one year and they weighed about 2.25 pounds on average in 12 months they're smashing you know these are nice these are nice f1 hybrid bass too the fastest growing bass on the planet genetically superior to everything swimming so you know i'm got a perfect fish in a perfect scenario you know Mm -hmm. but I'm talking, you know, this fish is going two pounds in a year. It's going four and a half, five pounds in two, and it's off and rolling. And as long as you're consistent, you've got a really good pond in 24, 36 months. Wow. Um, And that's the kind of results that you can only get by draining and restocking the pond. Now, you can get those results very, very consistently, right? But you have to be good at it, and you have to do it the right way. And if you, you don't, to, yeah, you won't. You'll never see. Right, let me put it to you this way: you'll never see that type of growth in a pond that you're just trying to harvest the bass, you know, and get them back growing again. Like if it's stunted out with 12 inches, and you go in there, you start pulling 12 inches out, you get them growing again. 
they are not going two pounds a year in there. You'll be lucky right. to get on one pound a year. In there, right? I was going to say, you might improve it, but not to the extent that you're you not going to get it rolling like that. But again, now you know what's possible, right? Before this conversation, you didn't even know that was possible, did you? No. So you not that growth possible. Yeah. So now you know you can you can apply it to your ponds wherever you go fishing, and you can go. All right. Well, all last year, all the bass I caught were a little bit underweight, and they were all 14 inches. And all this year, all the bass I caught were a little underweight, and they're all 14 inches. This pond hasn't improved. All right. You can mm -hmm. document it and know it. You can all. You'll also see the opposite of it. Once you see it, you'll see it real quick. You're like, man, these fish are big. These fish are strong. You know. And those are the ponds you want to fish in. Interesting. No, that that's. I think that's a great tip. And and also for anybody who you know has a pond that they manage, you know, uh, uh, as something to look at. And if you're if you're worried about your fish, and you know, you starting to see that in your pond or your the the bodies of water that you manage, you know, it's definitely something to look at. And you know, to to take a uh, at least a get an idea of what, where, where the fish are, where the bass are, where, where the size range are versus the weight of the fish, just get it to get an idea of the health of your fishery. Um, you know, well, this way, say you said, let's say you came to me and said, Hey man, I got this five acre pond. I put it in my house. And my, my kid is, uh, you know, I got two kids. They're like, uh, you know, seven and eight years old and I need them to catch fish. Okay. No problem. I'll have them catching fish. Like they'll they will be they will be wearing fish out. They'll be catching them on bare hook. It'll be short attention span theater, but it'll be perfect for kids. <laughs> but after right. a couple of years, that kid's going to be 10, 11, 12 years old. And guess what? You want to transition that pond into something that grows bigger fish? No problem. I'm going to do that. And now I got a kid that's catching nine pound bass at 10, 12 years old. You know, I've done those things a, a couple of times, man. And and that's fun, you know. That's the fun part of the job. You're not you're not spraying weeds and picking up trash, <laughs> right? No. Yeah. But those yeah, I was gonna say awesome. when you talk yeah. when you talked about uh you know fishing awesome. for a job, I knew there was there would be days where it was a job, but I knew that there would also be days where, you know, you're you're happy that that's your job. You know, you're you're doing what you love. You know. Yeah, yeah, man. I've always liked to manage ponds like this, man, and. And it, like, I just like, if people call me, I help them, you know, I always have. Awesome. Awesome, man. <laughs> All right. Well, um, real quick, um, we're, we're getting close to, we're at about 50 minutes now, or maybe a little under, but I, I had a few um, bass myths that I wanted to run by you and just see okay. what, uh, what your thoughts were on that. And then uh, we'll close up the show, let you, you know, shout out all the places where folks can find uh awesome information that you throw out there and if they want to you know you know maybe uh get your services where they can go for that as well but uh real quick some big bass or some bass myths that i was uh did a quick google search and i i found a bunch of them so one of them is big bass eat big baits is that uh always the case i, I in my experience especially with smallmouth that's not the case um what's your thoughts on that well I don't have smallmouth around here. Too warm. Okay. So, too much experience at all with those guys. I love them though, man. The times I've gotten to go go fishing for them, I love smallmouth bass. They're a blast. But um, for largemouth bass, 
I find that to be very true. Um, as a matter of fact, I've got a couple of things I do um, when I'm fishing that I try. Okay, so I look, you're, I'm trying to trigger an instinct, right? Right. When, okay. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to trigger a feeding instinct in the hardest fish to catch because it's the biggest fish. I'm only there for the big fish. I don't care about one pound bass. All right. I don't, I'm not a tournament fisherman. I'm not there for numbers. I want to catch the biggest fish in the lake. I don't have care if I have to go fishing 600 times over there for one bite. All right. That's just how I am. Okay. So that's, that's, that's the mindset that I'm going to the lake with. Okay. Gotcha. Yep. Um, and that's important for people to understand. Now, if do I, can I go to a lake with a mindset of just catching a bunch of fish because I'm with some kids? Sure. But if I'm going fishing personally, that's what I'm going to do. You're so, looking for the trophy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking for the biggest fish there. Right. And I'm going to watch. Now, let's, let's talk about let's talk about where I saw those big bass at. Right. Because mm -hmm. it was they were in identical places. They were on deep water ledges. They were in the deepest ledges of these lakes. Both the lakes were about 30 acres. Both, four, all four 10-pounders, there was, it was two different lakes. So there was two 10-pound bass on one tree, then two 10-pound bass on the other tree. Blowdowns and large blowdowns, huge oak tree blowdowns that fell, their, their root system fell from an elevated position, probably like three to five feet above the surface of the water off into a off a cliff basically so the top of the tree is really deep and the base of the tree is still out of the water and you have okay. the whole root the whole tree going down a steep slope like that right mm -hmm. that's what it is that's where the 10 pounders always come from that's where the bigs always come from like if you want to see eight eight pound fish it's going to be on that tree they're going to be stacked on it and it's the only you don't usually see 10 pounders stacked together you know what i mean but they right. will on structure like that. And I only know it because I ride around a shock boat. <laughs> so. Interesting. And then how do you, what, what do you, what's your go-to uh, presentation for that kind of. Uh, trigger large kind of... fish. I use oversized baits. I use glide baits. Um, one of the baits that I've had a lot of success for the last couple of years is the 5.8 Bellows Gill. Um, Texas rig it on a six to eight aught hook on half ounce or I fish it on like a eight aught flashy swimmer, just kind of drag it or slow roll it. Um, large glide baits. Uh, right now I'm transitioning. Um, I used to work at zoom bait company. I, it was one of my jobs in college and the zoom old monster is a big 10 inch worm they made. And mm -hmm. they actually old monster Magnum. That's a 12 inch worm. I'll go to those giant oversized plastic worms and just Texas rig them, you know, drag them on the bottom. Um, one technique I use is to burst the reel with the worm, on the, on, especially the oversized worms. I'll throw it, let it go to the bottom, let it settle, maybe hop it once, but then turn the reel fast three times and stop it and let it pause again for like 30 seconds. So it shoots across the bottom and then falls. And that's a real good technique for those oversized uh, plastics. It's kind of like adding that instinct. Like I said, we're, we're trying to trigger an instinct. And what we're triggering there is it's, it's a big meal that's getting away. Right. I so you let it, I you drop it in front of them? 
Yeah, you bl- you drop that big presentation, so that triggers you. So now you got kind of an instinct of it's big, it's worth it. Right. You know? You've got that. Well, then you compound that big, it's worth it with now it's getting away. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. if you're a really good fisherman, you're really advanced. You're going. It's big. It's worth it. It's getting away, and I've got it put into a trap position. And that's something I'll cover on my Patreon account. That's something that's getting real in-depth. It's going to take some coaching to understand that fully. But trap positions, like if you were to throw a a plastic worm down at the bottom into the corner of a room, you know, if there's a room down there and it goes right into the corner of the room, that plastic worm is in a trap position. Right, it can't get away left, right, up, or down. It can only get away up, right? It's dead trapped right. there. And when you put something into a trap position, a bass knows it's trapped and will light it up just because. Yeah, so you're you're basically hitting all of its triggers all at once. You're. I'm trying. You're, you're, I'm dang sure. Right. <laughs> you've got to on those bigs, man. You've got you got to layer those. You've got to layer that together. You know. Um, and you've got to be careful. You got to be careful of your noise. Don't bump your boat. Um, don't don't kick around in the boat. Don't drop crap in the boat. Um, I'm never being loud when I'm catching good fish. In any way, yeah. stealth, dead quiet, dead silent. You can do it from a yacht. You can do it from a boat. I don't really care. Don't hit the boat. Don't tap it on the bottom. You know, um, it's actually kind of okay to talk. Some guys get freaked out that you're talking, but actually talk, they can't really sense the talking, but they can sense the vibration, man. Lateral. That line. was uh, that was one of my questions. Was is it, yeah? I I remember going out fishing with my grandfather, and he's like, "Oh, dude, shut up, shut up!" You know, you had to be like dead quiet. You know. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I mean, it, a, a lot of people believe that, so a lot of times it's probably the proper etiquette to be quiet, but. Um, you can talk, man. I didn't see anything in school that said that talking um, was was sensitive. And, you know, that I don't think they can, your voice isn't moving, isn't displacing the water enough. But where the displacement comes from and where the sound, too, comes, you got to remember, sound moves through water differently. Um, so they're very, they can hear, they're very astute, they're very, like, though I try to explain to people the lateral line system on a bass is, is has the sensitivity of, like, a bat radar, you know, the bats. You know, when you put a lure around a bass, it doesn't have to see it to know where it is. It can mm-hmm. be pitch black, dead black, a bass can feed on, actually, a bass can have no eyes and still feed. It doesn't even need eyes to feed. Its lateral line system is so sensitive. It knows That's exactly amazing. Yeah, it knows exactly where it is, and like I said, it's it doesn't work like radar. It's a sensitive. It's a it's a cell with a hair, um, so the the vibrations come through the water and, and displace that hair, and it's so sensitive that it can just know, you know, where the animal is away from it, how large it is, whether it can be a prey item or not. All those things, it can just feel it. So when you start to understand that biology, right? then you understand why the oversized lure is important. It can feel it there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, 
Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. It doesn't even need to see it. It can tell it's big. Right. That's crazy. Yeah, that, and it makes a lot of sense. I remember um, I read a book called Knowing Bass. I don't know. Have you ever heard of that book? Uh, I forget who the scientist was that wrote it, but it, they, no. they go into it's hard to find it like you like if you i actually somehow after searching on the internet forever found a pdf of it um i could actually you know share it with you if you want but because uh, it's out of it's out of print now um and you can find copies of it on ebay for like 250 bucks or something crazy but i wow. somehow stumbled upon a pdf version of it uh it, after googling for like months and um it was really really interesting uh they talk about one of my other myths was do sense work. And this guy talks a lot about that and how some sense are oil based and some sense are uh, water soluble. And, you know, how it just doesn't make sense for oil based baits or uh, sense because they just float on top of the water and really don't, you know, do much for the bass. But that was one, one of my other questions for you. What, do you. what are your thoughts on sense? On using a scent? Yeah. Well, I think. I, I don't really use them that much, but I have used them before in a way that I think helped me. And that way was we got on a wintertime bite one time, dragging Huddleston's right on the bottom. Just on the reel, you know, just cast it, let it go to the bottom. And I mean, just creep it on the reel, just bump it across the bottom. Mm-hmm. And I had like a, it was like chapstick, shad, something. I don't even know where it came from. It was in the boat. You know what I mean? And I rubbed that chapstick scent on that on that rubber swim bait, that Huddleston top hook bait, you know? Right. And I really felt like that it was getting bit more. Hmm. But that's not scientific. You know, that's not I – don't, I don't have any science there. I mean – the way, if I was to say, from what I know from science, the way bass feed, um, no, I don't think scent is gonna is gonna trigger a feeding response the way motion, size, or entrapment would. Okay. But they can smell, and I've seen guys who swear by scents. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and I I can't. How do I put it? Okay, so I don't really care what gives you confidence. And I think that's what part of what makes the, my page successful. Because people will learn about bluegill spawning, they learn about lateral line systems, or learn about something, you know, and that gives them some confidence. They, they hear me say, I'll go 600 times and get no bites and keep going back. Like, and then they have no idea it takes that kind of effort, which is that's exactly the kind of effort it takes to catch 10 pound bass. You better be hard. You better know, you better fish in the rain, the cold, the sleet. <laughs> oh, you know what I'm talking about. Yep, you know? I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and to a new when people look at you like you're crazy for going out that day, but that's exactly what you need to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
There's yeah. a reason why I'm out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and well, you know, like I said, man, it'll be interesting to see if, if, if it helps anyone. I like it when it does. It's fun. Awesome. Awesome. All right, man. Well, we are at an hour. So um, I wanted to give you a chance. Um, let the folks know where they can find you online and um, also any sponsors that you wanted to shout out uh, or, you know, just uh, if somebody's looking to says, Hey, I got a pond and it needs some help. You know, where can I find Shannon Gorman and have him help me out? Um, I go by the handle aquatic biologist on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Twitter. You can find me in any of those places. And if you have a private pond, I do a, uh, a Patreon account. I started this year and it's five bucks a month. And that's for just private pond consulting. You can just text me directly, send me pictures and stuff. Um, I've done this for so long. I, I don't really, really need to be on site. Maybe I got to come on site one time or something, but um, most of this stuff I can do over the phone. So, you know, I, I just, I do that consulting that way on there and try to keep the cost down for people because most people don't have a huge budget, you know, for, for pond management costs. And I want them to have a place that they can get something affordable and that'll really help, you know? Right. Right. And, Something that they'll really enjoy, you know, and, and you, you probably can do that, you know, at least a little bit uh, without a huge investment. Right. You can, man. And, and, and once you like, there are definitely certain ponds with just a little bit of help that anybody, you know, you just need to be a pointer or two and, and some consistency and, and you'll be good, you know? Um, and it's an enjoyable, I've got some guy, a guy this year, he sent, sent me a, he's got a three acre pond here in Georgia and he's been following for a few years. He's got a couple 10 pound bass out there this year. Wow. So yeah, man, that's cool. That but, is definitely cool. Yeah, just any of those places you can find me there, and I don't have any sponsors or anything. I just I'm a freelancer. Okay, well I will make sure I include those in the show notes too. So anybody who's listening who uh, uh, just wants uh, the easy one, uh, make sure you check down below in the show notes for this uh, podcast, and um, I'll make sure that's included there so you can uh, find uh, Shannon his uh, information really easily. So cool, uh, Shannon. Again, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, you know giving us all that knowledge. It truly, uh, uh, very interesting stuff. I, like I said, it totally applies to my inner geek and, uh, um, definitely, uh, love listening to that stuff. And I think that's why your page is successful too, because it, it appeals to so many different, uh, you know, types of people. You have the geeky people, then you have the people who just, you know, the love fish and then, you know, you know, all sorts of broad spectrum there. So broad spectrum it's an interesting group and it's it's a fun group and it's a nice group it's the nicest group of people i've ever seen on the internet quite frankly we have a good time <laughs> anybody's welcome we don't have any trouble or, or trolls or much of any problems at all really it's it's fun awesome man and uh you know i had to t tell you i saw your hat as soon as you got online uh i'm a fellow braves fan i, I i'm a stranger in a strange land up here in, in pennsylvania but uh I've been a Braves fan ever since 84, I think, is when I started the Little League. And my grandmother was a, a diehard Braves fan um, because uh, she could watch them on uh, TBS. And I remember saying, you know, it was 84. And I was like, Grandma, why the heck do we like the Braves? You know, they're in last place. And then uh, 1990 came and they went from worst to first. And, you know, you know, everybody always now nowadays, 
accused well, me of old, being a. That was old Ted Turner, man. He was smart. He made he literally made the Braves America's team. That's what they called it, you know. And he, he brought yep. everywhere there was no baseball. Yep. If there was an area where they didn't have baseball, old Ted put, put the Braves on, man. So it's funny how many like Braves fans that you get to meet. I'm I'm an old Braves fan. I'm from Atlanta, you know, so I love the Braves. Um, I love baseball, man. I, I got all the hats. People make fun of me, but I, I'll wear a Yankees <laughs> hat tomorrow and then a Boston hat and cause a riot. Um, <laughs> hat. I, don't I, care. I don't know. I'd have to draw the line at a Yankees hat. That's probably one that I don't know that I could put on my head, but no, that's, I'm just kidding with you. That That's my dad as a nose fan. He, he would, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't let me, uh, wear a uh, Yankees hat, but yeah. right, right. No, I mean, I drive people crazy. I, I got every team. So I, I wear, I wear every hat. Um, it's fun. I like baseball. Awesome, man. Cool. All right, man. Well, thanks again so much for coming on and uh, spilling the knowledge. Um, definitely uh, appreciate that. And guys, go on and check out Shan's pages and uh, give them some business if you're so inclined. So, thanks. All man. right. No problem. Thanks again, guys, for uh, listening. This has been Bass Fishing for Noobs, where we bring you the techniques, the tricks, and the tips to help you rip more lit. So, have a good night, guys. Thanks for tuning in to another killer episode. Whoop. Oh, I broke it. My outro didn't Thanks play. for tuning in to another killer episode here on Paddle and Finn. Be sure to drop a five-star rating, a thumbs up, or smash that subscribe button on any platform you're listening in on. Be sure to check us out on Waypoint TV, waypointtv.com. Make sure you sign up for the Fantasy Kayak Fishing League at paddleandfin.com forward slash fantasy. You could support this show through Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Paddle and Fin. Don't forget to check out the website, paddleandfin.com. Catch us on YouTube. If you got a question, comment, or want to see a future guest on the show, be sure to email us at paddleandfin at gmail.com. Shout out to our show supporters, Yak Gadget. You can check out all the fine kayak accessories at yakgadget.com. Pelican Professional. For all your cases, coolers, and lighting needs, go to pelican.com. Rocktown Adventures, your Midwest premier paddle sports destination. Go to rocktownadventures.com. Eastport Marina, the beautiful destination on Dale Hollow Lake. If you're looking for lodging, kayaks, kayak accessories, or anything fishing related on the beautiful Dale Hollow Lake, go to eastport.info. And Jig Masters Jigs. When in doubt, get the jig out. Go to jigmasters.com and fill your tackle boxes today. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.